Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, we are thankful to be here this morning to, to dig into your word, to see what you have for us this morning, to, to as we hear from the, the mouth of Moses as he's recounting the law to the, the people of Israel before they go into the promised land. Uh, Lord, we just, we want to learn from that. We want to we soak it all in this morning uh, so that we can better understand our relationship with you, so that we can just know you better um, and what, what your promises are for us, what your, what your faithfulness is to us, how good you are for us. Lord, we ask that uh, you would just send your Holy Spirit upon this place, uh, that, that you would just overwhelm us with your presence, that all we can do is just fall down before your throne and worship you this morning. In your name we pray, amen. So, oh, thank you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, please raise your hand. Uh, Cesar, Charlie will get you a Bible. Uh, we're going to be in, in Deuteronomy 7, continuing on this morning from where we left off. Um, and if you don't have a Bible if, at home, uh, this is our gift to you. We want you to take it home with you. We want, this to, you want, we want you to dig into it. Uh, it every morning, every day, just chew on it marinate on it. Just don't get enough of it because it's good. Um, so I grew up in Indiana and in Indiana, one of the, there are several big things. I think last time I talked, I, I talked about the Indy 500, but now it's basketball season. And if you grow up in Indiana, at least most Hoosiers, there's two teams that you root for in college basketball. It's either IU or Purdue. We don't really count Notre Dame because they're up at the top and whatever. <laughs> but in basketball, it's either IU or Purdue. And I grew up in a family where my dad was a Purdue fan. And I am a Purdue fan. And I'm happy to say that they won on Friday, and they will probably be ranked number one come Monday. That's pretty awesome. But my mom's side of the family, my uncles, are both huge IU fans. And when I grew up in the 80s and 90s, there were two coaches, Bob Knight and Gene Cady. You probably have seen pictures of Bob Knight throwing chairs, yelling at refs. Gene Cady didn't throw chairs, but he yelled at plenty of refs. There's a strong rivalry in Indiana between IU and Purdue. IU people have chance against Purdue. Purdue people don't like IU and goes back and forth. Growing up in Indiana, you, had to, you have to pick one of them. You can't, just, you can't pick both. You just can't. 
Um, and so, so I grew up a huge Purdue fan. And when I moved down here, there aren't many Purdue fans. There's plenty of Ohio State fans. We give them grace. Uh, there's plenty of fans from Florida State. There's plenty of fans from Florida. There's fans of Miami, but not a whole lot of Purdue fans. And so when I moved down here, I had friends that went to, Purdue, uh, went to Florida. I had friends that went to Florida State, and they would always try to kind of coax me to come along to their side. But I never could do it. I had to remain strong and loyal to, to Purdue. And, and, uh, and, and, but there was that pull to, to pick, a, pick a team here. Sometimes we might, have fan, we might be a fan of a, of a professional sports team, the Chicago Bears, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Bills. I saw a hat, somebody had a, a Bills hat this morning. We might have a professional football team that, of where we've come from or we've had loyalties based on our family upbringing or where we grew up. And we come here, and even though the map might show that this is Dolphin country or this is Tampa Bay Buccaneers country or whatever it might be, we still have that loyalty to the original team that we followed, generally. Um, well, this morning, we're going to pick up from where we left off last week in, in Deuteronomy, where the Lord's saying, get rid of these seven nations that I've handed over to you. Get rid of them completely. Take down their altars. Take down their high places. Take down their groves. Take down their idols. Burn them. Get rid of them completely. And today we see why. We see that if they, were, if they leave it, They'll be pulled towards it. They'll be pulled away from their first love to these other things. Like college sports, like professional sports, there's that pull to say, well, I want to belong. I want to join in on the fun of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning the Super Bowl last year. But I can't abandon the Bears. Even though the fact that the Cubs sold off their entire team, I cannot... Abandon the Cubs. I think they're God's team because he, he shows us over and over how much we, we suffer. We should not lose our first love. And, and, and like the Israelites, they need to get rid of those things that pull them away from that first love and lead them into idolatry. God gives them clear direction. Get rid of it. Don't go into covenants. Don't do these things. And we learn later on through Second Chronicles and Kings that they don't do that. Over and over you see, you read the accounts of the kings and you have in, in Judah some good and some bad. Some kings did what was right in the sight of the Lord and they took down the high places. They got rid of the altars. They got rid of the idols and they got rid of it. And they were a good king. But then you had the other kings the kings of Israel, the other kings of Judah that were the bad kings that didn't do that and they went hard after those idols. They went hard after those foreign gods, those other deities and abandoned their first love. And today, today as we pick up in verse 6 of chapter 7, 
we see the rationale for why we should do this, why we should abandon those high places, why we should get rid of those idols. And so in verse 6, we read, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep his oath, which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage in the, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Verse 9, therefore know that the Lord your God He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with them who who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment, the statutes, the judgments, which I command you today to observe them. So in verse 6, Moses lays out and tells the people, you are a holy people. And it's certainly not because they're awesome. They're not. It's, he, he clearly says that it's not because they're the biggest group of people. God didn't just look around and say, hey, that's a lot of people. That'll work. No, he picked them because he picked them. He loves them because he loves them. It wasn't anything to do with what they did. It isn't anything to do with what they brought to the table. It's because God loves them. They are gods. And as a result, they are set apart. The word saints means set apart. We are called, like the Israelites, to be set apart. I don't want, to, don't want you to miss that this morning, that this, yes, that's for them. They are a holy people, but the same thing can be said of us that are, are followers of Christ. In the, New Testament, in the New Testament, we see a couple of descriptions of Christians with the same kind of language. In, in Titus chapter 2, Verses 11 through 14 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our, our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. In Titus, he's called us out. He's brought us in because of who he is. In in 1 Peter 2, verse 9 through 12, this is the most explicit, I think, of of the, the, uh, the examples that I have for you this morning. It says this, and sorry, I, I, put it in here so you can go back and look it up. It's 2 Peter, uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 9 through 12. 
but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, as exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Almost an exact copy of what Moses is telling the Israelites. You are a holy people, a royal priesthood. We who believe in Christ are a holy people, a royal priesthood, not because of what we bring to the table, but because of God's goodness. And he gives us instructions similar to the Israelites in these two chapters to avoid ungodliness, to avoid doing what, was, what is wrong, to live in his marvelous light. Clear instruction for a purpose. The purpose is that we are not to be holy just so that we can go around being holy. We are holy because we are gods. And because we are gods, he makes us holy. He brings us into salvation. He sanctifies us every day. Every day he takes that little part of us that we shouldn't hold on to. That little part of us, that, that sin that we, we like to hug, he takes it away. That process is slow. It doesn't happen overnight. But it's the process of making us holy. So, this instruction is not just for them to live in the promised land, but it's also for us to live in the promise. They, or we, are set apart to be God's people. Sometimes we don't live that way. We see that the Israelites didn't live that way all the time. They, slash we, are called to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. He told them to take the high places, the altars, the idols, and get rid of them. He told them to take the people that were of the land, the Canaanites, the people that were ungodly, the people that, as Aaron shared with us last week, he gave the Amorites a lot of time. He gave them plenty of time to repent, gave them plenty of time to see this God is God. This God is good. And they didn't. You know, as I was thinking through that, that this week, I thought of how, you know, the Israelites at some point, they have gone down to Egypt because of the famine. And I'm sure that the Canaanites probably realized there's something just not right. We don't see the hand of God. We don't see this blessing of the people like we used to. That blessing has moved to a different place. It has to be obvious. But they replaced it with the other things. They, they tried to fill it. They tried to fill those, that absence with things of their own control, of their own doing. And then as the people come back into the land, that should be an example to the people here. We see that in, in, in the book of, uh, of Joshua, 
that when they go in to take Jericho, Rahab says, we have seen what your God has done to the peoples. It doesn't go without notice. God's actions don't go without notice. God's actions aren't just like it happened in the background and nobody knows what happened. God's actions are visible. God's actions are, they make a difference. And also, the Israelites, they and we are called to live uprightly. To abandon those things. But how do we do that? Well, first and foremost, it's God's grace. Without God's grace, without God's mercy, without God's leading, we have absolutely no chance. Without God's grace, without God's leading, the people of Israel had absolutely no chance to take over the land. God tells them at the beginning of this chapter, the people that I am giving to you, the people that I am delivering to you, without God, there is no hope. But with God and with his grace, we have, an, we have hope. In verse 7, it says um, that he set his love on them and chose them. I thought that was a weird, a weird phrase. He set his love on them. And as I looked up the, the definition of he set his love on them, it gave an example of to cleave or to join together. And I thought of my wife. I saw my wife in college in orientation week, and I said, I'm going to date that girl. <laughs> I, went to, I went to dinner one night with a friend of mine who, who, who had met some people, and he said, let me introduce you to people. She's the first person that I didn't know when I, other than my friend from high school. The first person that I said, I want to get to know that person more. And over the course of years... I attached myself to her. I made an effort to find where she was going to be and somehow show up. <laughs> I made an effort to, for her birthday, hey, let's go get ice cream. And, oh, by the way, it's just the two of us, and we're in a walk there, so I have more time to spend with you. Over and over, I made an opportunity. I took the opportunity to attach myself to her. And then, thankfully, she said yes when I asked her to marry me. Well, actually, she said no, because I fake proposed in college. And she sa so she said, when you ask me, I'll say no. And so I was like, no, no, it's for real this time. <laughs> but thankfully, she actually did say yes. And, and thankfully, she made the decision to marry me, a messed up, screwed up human being. And thankfully, she's put up with me through all of it, but we have cleaved together. We have become one, and we've become one in Christ. And that's what Christ comes alongside his church, too. We are his bride. He's come alongside us to be one with us. If we abide with Christ, he abides with us. 
And so in this idea in verse seven, that he set his love on them, he chose them. God said, I'm going to love you no matter how many times you walk away. I'm going to love you despite the fact that you continually disappoint me. I'm going to love you despite the fact that you walk away from me all the time. The book of Hosea is a great example of that. Of Hosea, Hosea goes out and marries Gomer. And she goes away. She finds another man, another husband. She has children with other men. And God says, go get Gomer. In, in Hosea chapter 11, verse 4, God gives us this example. He says, I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases their yoke upon their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. He led them out of, out of Egypt. He brought them out of bondage. He brought them to a place of the land of promise, and he fed them along the way. He gave them manna when they had no food in the desert. He poured down manna from heaven so that they had enough to eat for that day. And on the day before the Sabbath, he poured down a double portion so that they had a double portion of what they needed for that day and the next day. Over and over and over again. Every day he poured out on them his love. Every day he led them. Every day he fed them. And what do they do? They abandon him. In the next couple of chapters, Moses will remind the people, hey, remember how you made an idol and you worshiped it? Remember how you did that? Throughout the rest of this book, we will see over and over, remember how you did this? Remember how you did this? But remember what God did. We do the same thing. Remember how good God is? Remember how God saved you from the pit of your despair? Remember how God saved you when you, while you were still enemies, Christ died for you. And yet we walk away from time to time. We allow our hearts to be drawn away from our first love to the things of this world. We allow ourselves to be pulled away from the one who provides our needs, who provides everything that we have to have, for the things that we try to provide on our own. In Jeremiah, it says, The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved him with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. And it wasn't just because of, you know, this time. God's love is everlasting. God's love doesn't run out. It doesn't doesn't go away because we've abandoned him. It's not like because we've walked away, God says, ah, you're done. I'm done with you people. It wasn't in the, in the wilderness when they, when they, when they worshiped the idol that God said, all right, you guys are going back to Egypt. Get back to Egypt. I'm sending you back to Egypt. No, he kept bringing them. You know, with my son's, 
every time, uh, every once in a while when they disappoint me or they get in trouble, oftentimes my first reaction is, go in your room. Go, go back. I'm done with you for right now. But that's not God's heart. He says, come close to me. He loves us with an everlasting love, something that we cannot exhaust. He keeps his word in these faithful. Um, as it says uh, uh, in, in verse 8, I think it's 8, sorry. In verse 9, Therefore, know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those that love him and keep his commandments. Unlike the gods of the land that they're going into, unlike what we see with the prophets of Baal, we don't have to go through a big show to say, Lord, love me, love me. All we have to do is fall down at his feet. God's blessings never run out. They are never exhausted. He is faithful through and through. And it's not just for the first 1,000 customers. It's for a, thou- a thousand generations. Imagine, think of that. A thousand generations. It's not just a thousand people. It's a thousand people plus all the thousand people that belong to that family. That's a That's a ton. God's ex- God cannot be exhausted uh, through his, his faithfulness. God's love cannot be exhausted. You know, I was thinking, as I was thinking through that idea, um, I thought of back in the 1800s when, when, we were, when the nation was building itself and, and, and Oklahoma had a land run where they'd have people line up and they would get in their wagons, get on their horses, and run as fast as they could or get wherever they could and put a stake in their property to claim their land. Thank goodness God's mercy and God's grace doesn't act like that. That we have to run as fast as we can to get there before somebody else takes it. We cannot, we cannot exhaust God's faithfulness. It's beyond our understanding, beyond the stars in the sky, beyond the sands on the, in the sea, on the seashore. God's faithfulness is abundant. And because God's faithfulness is so abundant, because his love is so abundant, we're never going to put God in our debt. We're never going to get to a point where God's like, I, I owe you a rain check on that one. We're never going to find his coffers bare. We're never going to run into a situation where God's just like, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have anything for you. And so, we have to, we have to stay in, that, in that, that space. We have to stay where God, God is pouring out those blessings. Because oftentimes, what happens is, we feel like the blessings are fading or we feel like God, we're just, we're, God is not moving our hearts this morning or, or, or whatever it might be. And it's often not because God's blessings or God's love is, is at an end. It's because we've walked away 
from that first love. It's because, as John Corson says, when you, when you go away from the spout where the blessings pour out, you don't have the blessings. You have to stay underneath that spout of God's love. You have to stay close to the Lord because then you will, get, then you will receive those blessings. God gave the Amorites a thousand years to, to figure that out. And in verse 10, we see that it says, He repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not, not be slacked with him, with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. And I think this goes, that, that goes back to the fact that God gave them the opportunity to, to come back to that spout where the blessings pour out. He gave them a thousand years to figure it out, and they didn't. And so now is the time where God's going to use his people Israel to repay the fact that they have hated the Lord with what they deserve. Again, thank God that while we are his enemies, he died for us. Thank God that he extended, he extends the mercy that he has given the Israelites to us by adopting us as sons and daughters. Thank God that, that he is slack, he's not slack in his justice, but he is patient with us. When we screw up, we have to remember, get back to that altar. Get back to the feet of Christ. That's what, what Moses is reminding the people here. When you screw up, because you will, get back to the Lord. And so it, that should be our response to do all this carefully. To be careful so that we do not wander, so that we do not go away. In verse 12, we pick up, it says, then it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments and keep them and do them, that the Lord your God will keep you, uh, keep with you the covenant and mercy which he swore to your fathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain and your new wine and your oil and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock in the land which he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you, among your livestock. And, you, and the Lord will take, you, take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases from, uh, of Egypt, which you have known, but will lay them on those who hate you. Also, you shall destroy all the peoples whom the Lord your God delivers over to you. Your eyes shall have no pity on them, nor shall you serve their gods, for that will be a snare to you. So here we see the result of living in that covenant, to living underneath those blessings. God says, I will bless you. When we live in covenant with the Lord, when we live in close fellowship, when we abide with Jesus, he abides with us. And, and as I was studying, um, one of my Bibles had a, had, had a point talking about verses 13 and 14. And I thought this was pretty interesting. In verses 13 and 14, it uses, and you can look it up in, in the 
the interlinear and look at the words that are used. But the word for grain is the word Dagon, who happens to be a Canaanite god. The word used for wine is Tirosh, another Canaanite god. The word for increase is Shegar, another Canaanite god. The word for the young of the flock is Ashtaroth, another Canaanite god. And I think it's interesting that God clearly points out in these chapters, not only am I going to bless you, but I'm going to bless you in a way that those gods of the land can't even compare to. He's going to use their names to say, you th- the, the people of Canaan say that, that Dagon and Tirosh and Shigar and Ashtaroth, they provide fertility, they provide blessing. God's using this as saying, no, they pretend that they provide the, the blessing. They pretend that they provide fertility, but only God does. Only God can provide the blessing that those other deities pretend to offer. I love the, the subtlety, but we find it subtle, but the Israelites probably were, were very aware of the fact that God was saying these things don't provide any hope. The same is for us this morning. The things of this world, the things that we put sometimes our hope in, don't provide hope. Those things let us down quickly. People, finances, governments, whatever it might be, they will never compare to what God provides. The Israelites, as they wandered in the, in the wilderness, as, before they get to, uh, to having King Saul, they had one king, and that one king was the Lord. They had one, one, one source that they could always rely on, yet they abandoned that source for a worldly king, for a, a man how quickly we do the exact same thing. And so they will be blessed beyond all other peoples. These other deities have no compare. And then I think it's interesting too, at the end of this paragraph in in verse 16, he reminds them again, destroy all the peoples who the Lord your God delivers over to you. Hey, by the way, don't forget Yes, you are a holy people, but don't forget to do what I'm telling you to do because it will be good for you. Destroy all those people. And it even said, and, and like Aaron said, don't take up a, pitch, uh, a torch and a pitchfork and go, uh, go after your neighbors who might be living sinfully. <laughs> but, but we shouldn't have any pity for sin. And I think sometimes we look for the littlest thing to avoid a difficult encounter. It's not that bad, we might say. Or, they do so many good things. Or, it was only a few times. I've heard that many times in my house. <laughs> or, maybe they don't know any better. Or, I didn't mean to. Or, I'm not really 
speeding, lying, murdering, coveting. Those things apply to us. We should first look at ourselves and say, Lord, I want to, I, I want to, I want to get rid of the things of this world and, and, and destroy the sin that is pulling me away from you. Jesus gave us good direction in Matthew chapter 7. It says in verse 3, it says, Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The Hawaiian pigeon version is, it means a lot to me. They say, small piece of junk. And it says, why, do you, why do, you, do you see the small piece of junk in your own eye when you've got a big old two by four in your eye? And I can never hear this verse the same. But uh, that is good, good instruction. And, and that instruction is for the people of Israel to say, hey, don't think that because those people have their idols or have their places of worship or have all these things that you're not exempt. In a couple of chapters, we'll, he'll be reminding them, you did the exact same thing. We do from time to time, we say, oh, that's sin right there. I, I can see that, right? But we don't look in a mirror and say, but I do the exact same thing. We're quick to point out the sin in other people's, but in, uh, in other people's lives, but sometimes the Lord says, check yourself first. And so that instruction of, of, of destroy, um, the destroy, where is it? Sorry. Destroy, uh, have no pity over them. You shall not, uh, so that you shall not serve their gods for that shall be a snare to you. That that's, telling us to be careful don't serve other things serve the lord your god be be quick to get rid of those sinful tendencies get be quick to get rid of the uh, the flesh that pulls you back to the world so the first paragraph that we looked at is the rationale for why should we destroy those nations? Why should we get rid of those things? The second, part, the second paragraph that we just looked at is, is the result of what happens when we do what God wants us to do, when we follow him, when we, when we rest in his grace and in his mercy. And then the, this, this final, final paragraph here, starting in verse 17, is the yeah, but paragraph. It says in verse 17, If you should say in your heart, These nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well that the Lord, what, your, what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials which your eyes saw, the signs and wonders, the mighty hand, the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples whom, of whom you are afraid. 
Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until those who are left who hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be terrified of them. For the Lord your God, the great and awesome God is among you. The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will be unable to... uh, you will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will deliver them, them over you and will inflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed. Verse 24, And he will deliver their kings into your hand, and you will destroy their name from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. You shall burn the carved images of their gods with fire. You shall not cover covet the silver or gold that is in them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it. For it is an abomination to the Lord your God. Nor shall you bring an abomination into the house, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and utterly abhor it, for it is an accursed thing. Remember, these people have been here before, ready to go into the land. God said, go into the land. And they chose not to. They said, but there's giants there. We can't go in there. There, There's walled cities there. We can't go in there. Moses is reminding them here, hey, don't go go down that path again. Don't say, yeah, but I don't think we can, I I don't think that you can do this, God. Remember what God has done for you. And that's a reminder to us this morning that in these crazy times that we live in, in the the situations that occur in our daily lives, in the fact that sin sometimes is ever-present and we just can't escape doing what God doesn't want us to do. Remember what the Lord God has done previously. Remember that the Lord... God has has saved us before we even called on his name. He died for us. Remember the fact that he brought them out of Egypt. Remember that he he led them through the wilderness. Remember that he fed them day after day after day. He, He gave them water to drink. Remember what the Lord has done for you. And I think it's interesting that it even says, By the way, I'll even use hornets to chase out the people. A little tiny hornet. They're mean, but a little tiny hornet to drive out the people. There's nothing that God can't use to do what he wants. Even a hornet. And I think, you know, in verse 22, it says, little by little, he'll drive them out. It's a good example. Again, going back to the idea of sanctification. It's little by little. It's day by day that we are made holy. It's little by little that God pulls the things that used to draw us close, that we used to hold tight to, and takes those out of our lives. Thank goodness he doesn't just make us holy in an instant and then expect us to live that way without having gone through experience because we would be an awful, awful mess. Thank goodness that God didn't give the people just the land and said, there you go, take it. 
little by little, because he knew that they couldn't handle it all at once. And so, in this, in this chapter, or in this, in this paragraph, I was reminded of, of, of a song, not Joy is the Flag, although I, I do love Joy is the Flag. Um, but it's, it's, it's Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And the lyrics are this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And all the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This paragraph, that's the translation for us as Christians. Look upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face and all the things... Uh, and, and, and all the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. The chaos, the craziness, the insanity, the sadness, it'll all grow strangely dim. That's our charge this morning. Look into Jesus. God has done great things. God is still doing great things. And if I could have the, the band come on up. This morning, we're going to do communion. And uh, the band's going to do a song. If you haven't gotten your, your little packet, take an opportunity to get that. But the band's going to play a song and, and uh, think about these things. Think about what God has done in your life. Because we are called to do this in remembrance of Him. So, sorry, I'm a little quick on the draw there. Um, let's, let's pray and then we'll, we'll do this song. Heavenly Father, so thankful for the reminders that you provide to us through this chapter of your goodness, of your direction to us to, to walk with you, to abhor what is evil, to detest what is evil, to run away from those things and destroy evil in our lives. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your abundant mercy that, that have no end. And Lord, we just, we just rest in that this morning. We rest in the knowledge that you are good beyond goodness. You are so good beyond all the things that we could ever do that we just can't exhaust you. We can't make you tired. Thank you for not abandoning us to our, our, our wicked ways. Thank you for giving us the hope of, of salvation through Christ. Thank you for sanctifying us day by day and ultimately giving us the hope of eternal life with you. We praise you and we glorify you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.